You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you're here with us on Valentine's Day. And uh, for those of you that have brought me candy, I really do appreciate that. We, I've had a few people bring me candy, and you guys have really paid attention. Uh, you've brought me all the stuff that I like, and you're like, well, what else does he like? I also really like Bitcoin. So if you want to drop some of that off, we'll uh, gladly. <laughs> so, all right. Um, I have three kids, as most of you know. If you don't, then, hey, I have three kids. And um, my middle child is my son. He's 11 now. When he was five, he told me that he was, when he was thinking about his career, he's like, Dad, I think I want to be a pastor. He also told me he's teetering between pastor and professional YouTuber. We'll see where that lands. But anyway, around five, he said, I want to be a pastor like you. And I said, oh, well, that's awesome. And I said, if that's the case, we need to start your training. So about, and I just said to him, I said, listen, here's what you do. Wherever I go, just come with me. And by the way, since he's been like three or four years old, every Sunday, um, he's up before me, gets ready, and he's waiting for me to come to church. And I obviously get here uh, earlier. I get here earlier than the rest of my family. And, uh, but he's ready to go with me. And so, uh, but after, a couple weeks after he had told me that, I was officiating a wedding. And I said, hey, do you want to come with me to the wedding? Yeah, absolutely. So I put my suit on. He puts his suit on. I grab my Bible. He grabs his Bible. And we, we go to this wedding. Now, I, we're sitting in, I think, the second row. And I say to him, and I say, look, now in a couple minutes, I'm going to walk up. And I say, you watch me. Because someday, you'll be officiating somebody else's wedding. So he's like, all right, Dad, you're the senior pastor. I'm the junior pastor. So anyway... Wedding starts, and there's this other pastor that's kind of doing like this little opening thing. And then I say to him, all right, you stay right here. I'll be right back. And uh, this is my cue to walk up. So I walk up, and I'm right about to start. To, so I'm standing on the side of the stage, and this, this other pastor is getting done. And I, I don't know if you ever have a, you ever have a moment where you know someone is invading your personal space? And so, but I look around. And I don't see anyone. But I still have that feeling that someone's invading my personal space. And so, and then I look over again, and I look down, and my son is standing right behind me. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm doing this wedding with you. And I'm like, no, you're doing a wedding someday. And anyway, like, you got to sit down. And he's like, oh, I, did, I thought, I, anyway, so... He goes and sits down, and then I do the wedding, and then, you know, we come back, and we're going to sleep, and our, kind of our ritual at home is the kids get ready for bed, and then um, we pray for them before they go to sleep, so I'm, and then we kind of review the day and all that, so we're talking to the kid, I'm talking to Xander in his room as before we pray for him to go back to sleep, and he's like, Dad, you know, I really thought I was going to marry somebody today, and I'm like, hold your horses, kid, you're only five, uh, let's give it some time, and now... And, and here's why I, I think that this is so powerful, because every single one of us in all these different areas of life are looking for a model. We're looking for someone who's gone before us, who's done what it is that we're hoping to do, or maybe who has become the thing that we're hoping to be. And so, and we do, and we do it for any area of life. We do it when it comes to, uh, 
you know, when you found out that you were having a baby, you're like, well, how am I, I going to become a parent? And so some of you looked at your parents, and then some of you looked at your own life, and like, I'm not really very happy with the product they produced, so I'm going to look, look somewhere else. Um, anyway, all right. Uh, <laughs> but then, you know, you said, well, man, I want to be a better I want to be a good employee. I want to be a good employer. I want to be a better son, better daughter. I want to be a good husband, good wife. And, and the thing is, is what we found is this, and you probably know this to be true as well, and that is wanting to find a model was a good thing, but finding a good model wasn't the easiest thing. Now, here's why I tell you all of this, and just to kind of set up our time together, because we are, we've been studying for the last five and a half months, we've been studying this book in the New Testament, this letter called Hebrews. It's the most theologically dense book in the New Testament. It was written to a group of Jewish Christians who were going through a difficult season. They were asking this question. It's such an important question, and that is, if God loves me, why is life so hard? And the answer to that question becomes this very eloquent and very theologically dense letter that serves for us as an encouragement in what to do, like the one thing that you can do when you're going through a season of difficulty, and that is this, to fix your eyes on Jesus. And throughout this book, the writer's been telling us that. For the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, the writer is telling us this, that Jesus is better than anything else that we could put our trust in. Then in chapter 11, he changes gears and he gives us a recap of all the heroes of the Jewish faith and how they were walking in faith and living by faith and trusting in faith, even in the case, in in difficult circumstances. And then in chapter 12, we actually get the phrase where he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And the reason he tells us that is because even though these folks were suffering, he's saying Jesus suffered as well, but he suffered well. And when we find ourselves in, an, in a time of difficulty or even experiencing correction from God, it's not, and we've been saying this for the last few weeks, it's not happening to us, it's happening for us. And then you get to the end, right? You get towards the end of Hebrews and you start to think, so I guess the purpose of life is just to kind of endure it and just kind of grind it out until you're done. And that's why chapter 13 is so important because the first part of chapter 13 that we looked at uh, last week, which has been affectionately, a, a lot of you guys um, emailed me and affectionately referred to it as the hydration message, which I really got a chuckle out of that. And so, like, I really like the hydration sermon. Cool. There you go. Stay thirsty, my friends. And so, <laughs> so anyway, um, but what it, t- <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, but what he talks about in chapter 13 is that Christians should be the most joy-filled people on the planet. And that becomes, in many cases, the differentiator between those of us who know God and those of us who who are far from God. But in these last verses, the writer is going to do something that we have done so many times. He's going to give us some final reminders. And they all are actually kind of geared towards the same thing. But if you're a parent, you know this, where you get this, where if you're, maybe you're, and maybe you're going to do this tonight, right? You're going to go out with your spouse and you're going to, there's a babysitter. Um, you're going to give them some final reminders right at the door. And it's just, and they don't, they all seem kind of like disjointed, but really it's like, if you want this to go well, here's what you need to do, right? Don't let them watch too much TV. Don't give them sugar. Or they'll be bouncing off the walls. And then if you're Cuban, you'll say, um, and if they don't fall asleep, just give them a little bit of Benadryl. And, um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, let me tell you something. The Cubans are like a bit liberal when it comes to the Benadryl. And uh, people, it's for allergies, all right? And I, I, I said that to some of the others, like, I know, my kids are allergic to sleeping, so I give it to them. 
And uh, so, anyway, pray for them. And uh, so, but listen, so the writer here is going to give us some final reminders about spiritual growth. Now, I want you to understand that throughout this book, the writer has been concerned about the growth of these Christians that he's writing to. In fact, in chapter 5 of Hebrews, he's been, he, he starts talking about some really deep stuff. And then he stops and he says, you know what? You can't even handle it. You can't handle it because you, you, you're not there yet. And by the way, some of these folks have been Christians for up to like 30 years at this time. And they just, they, they, they weren't ready for it. In fact, here's what he says in chapter 5. He says, uh, in fact, though by this time you want to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary, prince, uh, the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, he hasn't forgotten this concern that he has about them. And he's going to give them these, the three most practical ways that we grow as believers. And I put it in your notes, the three most practical ways that we grow. Number one is this. We grow by our understanding of who Jesus is. We grow by our understanding of who Jesus is. That is, um, we, 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 we know who he is, we know what he's done, we know why he did it. The second thing is we grow by the people we choose to follow. Because these, this is the model, these are the models that we talked about. And the third thing is we grow by the teaching that we embrace. And so, and once again, these aren't things that he says just one time. In fact, if you read through this last section of Hebrews, he mentions all of them at least twice. A couple of them he mentions three times um, in these last few verses. And so, because once again, the things that are most important to us are the things that we repeat. So I did this with my kids this week. We were having dinner and I said, guys, I'm preaching this message about Part of it is about what are the things that we repeat? We repeat things that are important. And so what are the things? And so I'm giving you this without filter. Uh, I said, what are the things that we, your mom and I repeat the most in our house? And so the first thing that my kids said was, well, the thing that I say the most is nugs, not drugs. Now, let me explain that for a minute. Nugs, not drugs is a, it's an anti-drug song that I wrote, um, and it, what the song is about is that inst- if you feel like you want to do drugs, don't instead eat Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets because they're more delicious and slightly less addictive. Um, and so anyway, and that's the whole song. Is it, that's what it, it, it says is nugs, not drugs. Because it's a, and then the chorus goes, nugs, not drugs. The nugs are here to stay, but the drugs will take you away to jail. So that's the chorus of the song. Anyway, very popular in our house. Uh, but so that they said, that's something I say all the time. Uh, and they said, another thing that I say all the time is, um, blowing minds, changing hearts. So that's a trademark statement that I have, by the way, I have that with the patent office working on that. And, uh, so anytime I do something that the kids are super impressed by, they're like, dad, that's amazing. And I'll say, blowing minds, changing hearts. That's what I do. And so anyway, then this is a serious one. And that is, and this is, um, which this one came more from their mom. And, uh, so I said, they said, well, what else do we say? And they said, you say this, lying breaks the relationship. So let me explain that a little bit. From the time that our kids were very little, we taught them what Jesus said, truth sets you free, but lying breaks the relationship. So my daughter, Livy is having a conversation with one of her friends and her friend is telling her, well, this happened, but you know, I didn't want to tell my mom what really happened. And it's like, 
And my daughter Livy is, my, she's nine, by the way. She just turned nine. And she's like, you lied to your parents. And she was like, you can't lie to your parents. Don't you understand that lying breaks the relationship? You got to go fix this immediately. Now, here's the thing that I found amazing is that all of my kids had a story of them saying that lying, like them talking to one of their friends and one of their friends says something and they say lying breaks the relationship, which made me think, who are these people you're hanging out with that feel like it's okay to lie to your parents? I'm writing a song about that. And so anyway, so now what the writer of Hebrews is going to do is he's going to give us these three final exhortations that he's not going to repeat once, going to repeat twice. In fact, for some of these things, um, he, a couple of them he's going to say three times as we go. So we're going to start, we're going to do this a little bit different because he says it the first time in verse seven. He says it the second time in verse 17. So we're going to take those two verses first to kind of take the topic. He says in verse seven, remember those who rule over you or lead you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow or mimic considering the outcome of their conduct. And then in verse 17, he says this, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that you want to note if you want to have a faith that is worth modeling. And that is that I need to embrace what will challenge my faith. And what he says challenges our faith and causes us to grow is to model our lives after leaders who are worth following. Now, when he says, remember those who rule over you or remember those who lead you, the, the, the idea of remembering isn't like, oh yeah, I have a pastor, don't I? That's not what he's saying. He's saying he, the, the idea of remember can literally be translated to be mindful of that, that you don't let it slip your mind. It's something that's always on your mind that there are not just me as a pastor, but there are leaders here at Calvary that are looking to help you grow. And that's why verse 17 gives us a little bit more uh, insight into that, that he says that um, this, he says, do this. I I love this verse where he says, let them do it with joy and not with grief. That is the don't give me a hard time verse of the Bible. All right. And, and here's why, because they look out for your soul. Listen, do you know that, that your pastor is the one who's looking out for your soul, that there might not be anybody else in your life who's looking out for your soul, except your pastor. There's people that might be looking after other things in your life, but um, we are here to help you. And that's why he says that, that my job, listen, as your pastor is to tell you the truth. And sometimes it might not even be what you want to hear, but you, what we need to hear is the truth. Now, let me say something else. And when I say that is those who lead you, that is really um, not just me, but you know, all of us here that are leaders at Calvary. So let me give you an example. Um, like, don't make it a grief for the people who are ushers here at Calvary. So let me tell you how this works, all right? And because I hear, this, I hear stories sometimes. Now, maybe it's not you guys. Probably not you guys. It's probably all the people at 10 o'clock. Those people have problems. And uh, what did you say to the people at 10 o'clock? Let's not talk about that. And uh, <laughs> now, here's what happens. Uh, you ever notice, uh, if, unless you're in the front row, you don't see this, but you see that there's like dots there. You know what that is? That is whenever someone RSVPs, we put, a, we put dots, like, for hey, it's a group of five, it's a group of eight, it's a group of ten, and, uh, and sometimes people forget to RSVP, and if you forget, it's okay, we still love you, and we're going to find a spot for you. But let me tell you what happens sometimes. People don't RSVP, and the ushers are like, hey, we'd like for you to sit, like, oh, I'm going to sit wherever I want. Um, like, first of all, 
That kind of heart, you're not going to hear anything from God. Like if you're like, you know, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. Because once again, that verse saying, don't give them a hard time. Because you know that they're, they're really glad you're here. We're really glad you're here. But like, don't be a knucklehead. This is a don't be a knucklehead verse. Um, like, let us help you. They want you to have a great experience. And we're trying to distance and we're trying to, you know, do all of that and like fit as many people as we can that want to come. Because once again, if you look around, if you notice that like every week, there's more and more people who want to come back to church. It's very exciting. Yeah, it's awesome. But um, that's, a, that's, that's an awesome thing. So we got to work together to make this happen. And so now here's the other thing. And this is, let me, let me push a little bit. Um, just because you attend here sometimes, doesn't mean that I'm your pastor. What do you mean? No, see, I'm the pastor of the members of this church. That means you've gone through our membership class and you've committed yourself to Calvary and in turn, Calvary has committed itself to you. You know why? Because here's in verse 17, he says again, he says, obey those who rule over you, that is your leaders, be submissive for they watch out for your souls and as those who must give account. I'm gonna give an account. I'm going to stand before God someday and give an account for how I led the people that were under my care. And listen, if you're not a member of this church, then I'm not your pastor. I'm just a guy you like listening to. So, and listen, that's okay for a season, but there comes a point in time where it's like, yeah, I've got to make some commitments in my life. Because listen, the number one thing that causes us to grow more than anything else, write this down in your notes, is this, our commitments. The commitments that we make are the fuel that cause growth. When you tell me what you're committed to, I'm going to tell you what you're going to become in the next 20 years. If I tell you what I'm committed to, you'd be able to say the same to me. And there are four types of commitments that people make. The first is this, no commitment. These are people who just will not commit to anything. This person's guiding emotion in life is fear because they, they, they fear committing uh, anything in their lives, and so they've decided that they're not going to commit to anything, but they don't realize that they have made a commitment, a commitment to live a life of no attachments. And by the way, that is a sad way to live because the person who commits to nothing usually becomes nothing. There's also this, number two, half-hearted commitment. This is when we give lip service to being committed because it feels good to talk about and then we don't follow through. And this person's consistent emotion is frustration, because they have kind of one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock, and that's a very painful place to live. Because you make a little bit of progress, but you never see the big victories in your life. Number three is this, and this happens sometimes, there's bad commitment. That is that we fully commit ourselves to things that don't really matter. A few years ago, I had a conversation with a guy who came here. Uh, He came here one time, because, you know, it's all he could give to it, because he was the most powerful person in the game, World of Warcraft. How many of you remember World of Warcraft? All right, look, there's like eight people in this church who remember. This was like the most popular game. This guy was the most powerful person. I don't know anything about video games, just to give you an idea. Um, I, my, my understanding of video games stopped at the original Super Mario for uh, Nintendo. And then I read a thing in a magazine about how you can, at like level three, you can get this tunnel that takes you all the way to the end of the game. And so... And then you could do this thing where you could get endless lives. And so I did that, and I finished the game, and I'm like, I'm going out on top. That's it. I'm out. So I've never, I, I don't play any, I'm not a video game person. So this guy was the, whatever the highest level 200 wizard garden gnome, you know, whatever. He's that, the most powerful person. 
He plays 15 hours a day. And I'm like, dude, how do you like do life? What, where, well, he didn't have a job. Um, and in fact, he rarely left his room. And I'm like, well, do you got to at least go to the bathroom? He goes, well, sometimes I go to the bathroom. Sometimes I wear a diaper. And so I don't make stuff like that up. I don't have the creative mind to make up that kind of madness. And um, so anyway, so, but once again, nobody can argue with this commitment. But to what end? Especially when everyone moved on. Because it's one thing to be the most powerful person in a game, and it's another thing to be the most powerful person in a game that no one cares about anymore. All right? And then there's number four, and that is godly commitment. And this is where we lay aside our own desires, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. King Solomon, when he was dedicating the temple, he prays this prayer over the people of Israel, and he says this at the very end. I love this. He says, And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. You see, part of that commitment is being committed to a local body of believers. And, and listen, we live in a culture that just pushes against commitment because we feel like not being committed is, is, is freedom, and it's not. And, and sometimes we want to dress up lack of commitment in spiritual language. And, and let me tell you what that looks like. I was having a conversation with a guy about two years ago. And he was telling me, man, I love Calvary so much. And uh, I'm like, dude, that's great, man. You should get involved. And he's like, no, 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 man. I'm just, I, this is not part of my calling. And, um, and I said, so you go, I thought that it, because sometimes people come here and they're like, well, you know, I'm actually, I go somewhere else, but I really like the teaching here or, or the worship or whatever. And that's why I come here. And, um, and I, so I, he's like, that's not my calling. And I'm thinking like, all right, I'll bite. Uh, so what's your calling? And he's like, see, what I do is I wake up every Sunday and God speaks to me and tells me where to go to church. Now that sounds like, wow, that's so spiritual. So I said, wow, that's awesome. I'm going to start doing that too. And, and he's like, well, no, you can't. I mean, like, what about all the people at Calvary? And, and I said, well, what about them? He says, well, what would happen if you didn't show up? I said, I don't know. Maybe they would do the same thing. I mean, they would pray and, and you know, and he's like, yeah, but uh, what would happen to the people at Calvary if, 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 what would happen to Calvary if people didn't show up? And I said, let me tell you what you just said to me. What you just said to me is you want us at Calvary to be committed to Calvary and everybody at every other church to be committed to their church so that you don't have to be committed to anything. You see, it's, it, at the outset, oh, it sounds so spiritual, but it's actually incredibly selfish and very carnal. And see, listen, your commitments will determine your growth and the trajectory of your life. And that's just the reality. Now, I mentioned all of this. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity. Grab your connection card, if you would. On the back of your connection card, you're going to see in yellow, attend online membership class. And this upcoming Thursday, I believe, is, uh, is, our, is our membership class. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to sign up for it. It's an hour. It's, you can watch it from your house in your pajamas. Just, if you're going to do that, just, you know, show a cat filter. Um, I appreciate some of you guys getting that. You appreciate my lawyer humor. That's good. And so, anyway, uh, but sign up for that. And you know what you're going to find out? And here's why, why this is so important. You've been coming here for whatever length of time. You should know what we believe. You should know where we've been and you should know where we're going. And then you can decide, like, hey, I, want to cont- I, I thought I wanted to be part of it. Now I definitely want to be part of it. And it's going to tell you who we are, where we're headed, and the role that each of us 
plays. All right. Second thing I want to tell you is what he says from verses 8 through 16. And this gets a little bit technical, but let's read it together. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of the animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. In light of that, therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. If you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing I want to tell you uh, about having a faith worth modeling is that is I need to be educated. I need to be educated in what will strengthen my faith. Now, some of this is a bit technical, so I want to walk through it together uh, and kind of set the stage for what he says at the end. And that is, the writer says this. Now, here's how he begins a section. He says this, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He contrasts that with what he says in the next verse, that there's all these kind of strange doctrines that are going to come through that are going to lead you astray in contrast to Jesus being the same. And so what, he, so what establishes us then? The fact that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then he says this, but it's good that our hearts be established and rooted in grace, that our relationship with God begins, middle, and ends with the grace of God. We would not know God apart from his grace, and any blessing that we experience is the result of the grace of God. So far, so good? All right. Then he goes on a little bit deeper and he talks about, remember, one of the important themes of Hebrews is that this is a group of people who were thinking, kind of drawn back to their roots, which was their history with Judaism. And so he's giving them the contrast between the unchanging nature of Jesus and kind of these weird doctrines that come up and uh, lead people in bad directions. So he talks about the priests in Judaism and how they offered sacrifices. And what they would do is they would offer sacrifices on the altar then they would take whatever remained and they would take it outside of the city and they would burn it outside of the city. In the same way, the, the writer's making this, this point, Jesus suffered outside the city gates. And you'll see that firsthand if you come with us to Israel, where we'll go outside of the city to Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Uh, Golgotha is the word in Hebrew. Uh, the word in Latin is Calvary. And that's why we uh, are called what we're called. And so... Now, one of the things about Israel, let me just tell you this real quick, uh, that people don't realize, they think that when they go there, they're going to get to a city that was like 3,000 years old and nothing has been modernized. um, Jerusalem is a modern city, just surrounded by these these incredible sites and uh, just the history of of the country. And so, and, and I had that experience of the modern and the ancient clashing together uh, about 20 years ago, my wife and I were there. We were standing, we had a free day in Jerusalem. And so my wife and I were walking through the old city and we made it to the, the Damascus gate, which is the northernmost gate in uh, the old city of Jerusalem, which kind of leads you out to the kind of greater, the greater Jerusalem area. And so someone walks up to me and asks for directions. I don't know why they thought I was a person who knew his way around Jerusalem. I had only been there for like a week. And so 
But I'm standing at the Damascus Gate, and someone says, I'm trying to find the garden tomb. And uh, now, the garden tomb, if you're not aware, is uh, we're going to go to the Golgotha, which is the place of the skull where Jesus was crucified. And then just a ways from there, the garden tomb is right there, which Jesus was laid in, thankfully, only for a weekend. And so, really, nothing? All right, forget it. And so... So they say, all right, how do we get to the garden tomb? And I say, and the thing is, I had just been there a couple days before. I'm like, oh, garden tomb is easy. You just go down this street. You're going to get to McDonald's. You're going to make a left. It's on your right-hand side. And, and I thought, I, I never thought I would say that sentence in my life, where really, I th- once again, thought I'd get a little more out of that. Forget it. No more directional stories. Um, and so now, but the writer's giving another contrast here. He, gets, he talks about the priests who offer animal sacrifices, and then the other contrast is, for the believer, is those who give the sacrifice of praise. In fact, the key word there in verse 15 is the word continually, that we should continually give the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of our lips. Now, listen, it is easy for us to praise God and thank him when things are going well. When it's summertime in your life and you're thanking God for all the blessings that you have, it's very easy to, be, to thank God and be very faithful. But here's the thing. One of the challenges that we have living in South Florida is living in, living in South Florida kind of skews your view of reality because we live where other people vacation. And the other thing is we don't experience seasons, right? We have basically variations of one season, hot hotter surface of the sun in, you know, kind of rotation. And so just to give you an idea, I thought it would be fun for me to show you what's happening elsewhere around our country. So this is New York City today, 30 degrees, all right? And that's with sun. Uh, Here's my hometown of Boston. It's 27 uh, today. In fact, a friend of mine who's a pastor in Connecticut, let me show you the picture he sent me two days ago. That's his yard, and this is the street. So this is taken in front of his house. That's his neighbor. Like, look at his neighbor's door. Like, that house looks haunted, right? And, uh, like, you go down this road, you ain't coming out alive, you know? And so, like, oh, this smells so fun. Let's, like, let, you don't want to live in that. That's a great thing to look at. But now, so here's, here's what the temperature is today in West Hartford. It is 27 degrees. By the way, here's what Miramar is today, 79, right? Pretty good, pretty good. But here's the thing that happens when you live in a constant state of one season. You start to think that it should always be summer in your life. That it's never time to sow, it's never time to water, it's never time to wait, it's only time to reap. And see, so, and this is kind of, well, why doesn't God just allow only good things to happen? Have you ever met someone that only got what they wanted? Aren't they delightful? But no, no. They're miserable, they're spoiled, they're arrogant, they're self-centered people who only care about themselves. That's why as much as you love your children, you don't give them everything that they want because that's not how you define good parenting. Because here's the thing, and by the way, you know that you don't want one season to last forever? You don't. You might think you do, but you don't. So listen, it's Valentine's Day. And some people are going out on like their first date, their first big date. Now, I, uh, I have had the same Valentine for 28 years, and I am so grateful for that because the thought 
When people tell me, they're, oh, I'm going out on a date, and I'm thinking to myself, that in 2021, that sounds horrifying, all right? <laughs> Absolutely horrifying, all right? And I'm just, I'm, I'm glad I'm married to the woman that I'm married to. And so, uh, now, so let me show you, I've never shown this picture before, but this is a picture of my wife on our first Valentine ever, uh, Valentine's Day 1993. There we go. Now, a couple of things you need to know. Like, my wife is... My wife is stunning, and somehow she has figured out, 28 years later, how to not age at all. Someone asked my wife if she was part vampire. Uh, they're like, how is it that you don't age? And uh, it, it really is. And then um, we were talking about that. We went to a wedding on Friday. We took a picture, and I said to her, I'm like, you look amazing, and I look uh, like an old guy that like, made a bunch of money on the stock market and then scored a trophy wife. And, um, and she said, well, let's see. And so there's this website where you can post a picture and it'll tell you how old you look. And it said that my wife looked 33 and I looked 66. <laughs> and, uh, and so she said something to me. I'm like, look, don't change me. I don't want to change. I'm a senior citizen. Like, just leave me alone. And so anyway, um, so now I tell you this. And by the way, can we just look at the, this? This hair game was strong, strong. Then I had children. <laughs> then all, all went. So we, uh, I was, so this is our, my wife and I have been dating here probably about two months. And by, oh, by the way, and just, to, just to, so you know, you can't tell, this is actually a dark purple tie. So the purple shirt with the dark purple, I had like the Regis Philman, who wants to be a millionaire look going way before him. And by the way, I appreciate those of you guys who laugh, who knew who Regis was, and you knew who, who wants to be a millionaire show is, because... I was a little worried about that one. All right. So if you can take this off, by the way, nobody's going to pay any attention to me. Um, so first time we went out, we had been dating for about two months, and I took her to a restaurant called Yesterday's, which was on the intercoastal in Fort Lauderdale. It's not there anymore, but it had been there for a long time. And I remember walking in. It was the fanciest place I had ever been in. And one of the things that they did, and, and I don't know if they do this at every fancy place, but at this place, they gave you like this warm washcloth when you sit down to wash your hands. Very nice. So I grab it and I wash my hands. And then because, you know, I'm Cuban and didn't have nice things. um, And so I proceeded then to wash my face (laughs) when I was at the table. And my wife was like, dear Lord, what in the world have I gotten myself into? I am dating a moron. And so but she was polite enough not to say that. And so, <laughs> so anyway, um, I spent more on that meal than I spent on the car that drove us there. All right? Just to give you an idea about that. Now, because it was on the intercoastal, you couldn't park yourself. You had to valet. So I had to valet a 1981 Toyota Corolla. And so, and that... That wasn't even the worst part when I, you know, handed the guy the key. And he goes, oh, I haven't seen one of these in a while. And, uh, and so it was when we left after I was shocked by paying the bill is that I walk out, I give the, this valet guy my ticket. And it's like, and by the way, I mean, we were the youngest people there by at least like 25 years. And I, I was 19 in that picture and Carrie was 18. And so I see all these like Mercedes and Beamers, you know, all. And then the valet guy, he shows up with my Corolla. And he's like, I got a Corolla. 
and there's like a crowd, and I, I did not want to acknowledge, and I was just like, <laughs> who's that loser? And uh, so I just, I was like, hey, we're just going to hang back for a minute. So I just waited for it to kind of thin out, and then I hopped in my car, and uh, so... <laughs> people to struggle, man. It was, it was fierce back then. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I wish every day was Valentine's Day. You'd be broke. Don't you get it? You'd be in bankruptcy. But listen, here's the point. Like, you know, and you know, if it's, if it's wintertime in your life, you know that that season doesn't last forever. This is the cool thing about growing up somewhere else. By the way, it's way better to live here. But it's, it, here's a cool thing about growing up in a, in a place that has seasons is that you know that you, if you're in winter, you, you can feel that it starts to change. It's not as cold as it was. You see that the trees, they start, you see new things budding and you're like, the seasons are changing. When it's spring, things start warming up. And, you're, you know, I mean, it's like there's more sunlight. Hey, it's, it's summertime's coming. And when it's summertime, the leaves start changing. And it doesn't go from hot to cold all at once. It starts leading you there. And my point is this, is that you start being able to see signs that the seasons of life are changing. And so when it's summer, we're thanking God for the blessing that it's summer. And when it's winter and everything looks dead, we thank God that winters don't last forever. And by the way, when those difficult seasons, you know in winter, that's when trees are deepening their roots more than at any other time in the year. And by the way, the same thing is true with you. The same thing is true with you. We grow in the winter way more than we do in the summer. And by the way, it's the seasons of winter that allow us to appreciate the summer that much more. That's why the Apostle Paul would say in Galatians, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. It's not that we reap in every season. It's that we'll reap if we don't lose heart in whatever season that we're in. All right, verse 18. He says, pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you a few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, whom with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you or lead you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Last thing. And that is that I need to express the reality of my faith. You see, he gives this closing benediction, which I love. And if a benediction is uh, kind of this compound word, bene, which means good, and diction, which is a word. So it is a good word that he gives at the end to the writers. He talks about God, and this is the blessing that he gives to the readers. He says, may the God of peace, this God, and here's what he did. He, wrote, he brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. That reveals his power. This God, who is the great shepherd of the sheep, which reveals his care for you and me. That God, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, that reveals his love through the sacrifice of Jesus and his promise to never leave us or forsake us. Here's what he says. May he complete May he make you complete 
in every good work to do his will. The question that I probably get asked the most as a pastor is about the will of God. What is God's will? What does God want me to do? I've got a, a situation. Which way am I supposed to go? What is the, what is the thing that God wants? And, and it's just over the years, I've just talked to people about how they're trying to discern what it is that God wants them to do. And there's this, um, this passage that's been so helpful to me. And I want to share it with you that I, I, I believe I, I've shared with so many people that has helped them in discerning what it is that God wants. It's in the Gospel of John. Here's what it says. It says, anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or merely my own. Let me set that up for a minute. The people are asking Jesus about his teaching. They're amazed at his words. And because his words are so powerful, and then Jesus says, my words aren't mine. My words are my father's. And then he says this, if anyone wants to do God's will, he will know whether what I'm saying is true or not. And he's giving us a secret to understand what God wants to do in our lives. And here's this, let me put it uh, simply. And that is this, if you will do what you know, then you'll know what to do. If you do what you know, then you'll know what to do. When I obey the commands of God that I already know to do, the things that I don't know will become clearer. And let me tell you what happens in our lives, and this is the challenge, is that sometimes we get fixated on the uncertainty of the thing we don't know to do, and it paralyzes us from doing the things that we already know to do. It's a bad strategy. The better strategy is to keep walking in obedience to what God has already revealed to us. And if we will obey the things that God has already revealed to us, then in, in due time, he will reveal to us the things that we don't know. And when you're obeying God in the things that you do know and doing what you're supposed to do, God has a way of taking our obedience in what we already do know and multiplying that. Let me explain. My son comes to me, uh, he's 11. He comes to me a couple of weeks ago and he says, Dad, there's a new Mario game coming out for the Nintendo Switch. And I said, oh, that's awesome. And he says, but I, I really want to get it. But Livy really wants it. Livy is my uh, nine-year-old daughter. And she says, here's, but here's what I want to do. I want to buy it for her for Valentine's Day. And I said, man, that's awesome, Zan. And I said, what are you going to do with the game? And he says, are you going to get the game? And he goes, well, I'll figure something else out for me, but I really want to, I want to surprise her with the game because she really, really wants it. So I tell my wife, and I said, this kid wants to spend his money on the game for his sister when he could have just as easily bought it for himself and nobody would have been, nobody would have cared if he'd used his money to buy it for himself. And I said, I'm just, I'm so moved by his love for his sister. And so I, we decide, and I go to GameStop like a week ago, and I order two copies of the game, uh, one for Livy and one for Zan. I don't say anything, so I just, I walk up, and I say, hey, I want to buy this new Mario game. And, uh, and then they tell me the price of the game. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, I know your stock is doing okay now, but you guys need to throttle back on the price gouging. Um, so anyway, so I ordered the game somewhere. Dave Ramsey was crying and didn't know why. And it's because I, <laughs> and it's because I bought those two games for my kids. And some of you are like, who's Dave Ramsey? Anyway, forget it. Um, but so Friday, so Friday we surprise the kids and we give them the games and they are just over the moon. Right. And I take my son aside and I said, Hey buddy, I want you to know why I did this. Um, I said, you were, you had this heart of generosity for your sister, and I just, I, I had to reward it. And, uh, and now, here's my point. When God sees an attitude of trust, he acts. 
when we do what we know and are faithful in the things that we know, even in light of us having some uncertainty and in, in, in this other thing, we'll know what to do. God has a way of revealing step two when we've been obedient to step one. And listen, it could be that your marriage has hit some troubled waters and maybe, well, man, it's like my finances have me underwater. Maybe your career is taking on water. But listen, even when the future is unclear and you say, I don't know what to do when it comes to this, be faithful in the thing that you do know. Because listen, for the, whatever difficulty you're facing, you know you don't have to fix every single problem today. But what you can do is I can trust God in this right now. I can be obedient in the thing that I know to do. This is what I used to tell my college student. When I used to run a college, I used to tell them when it came to obeying God that a moving car is easier to steer. And that when you do everything that you know to do in due time, you'll know what to do. And the future will become much clearer. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that amazing promise that if we'll do what we know, we'll know what to do. And so I just pray that you would give us wisdom, direction as we take steps to know you better, to serve you more deeply, to be even more committed to you. And so, Lord, I thank you for this amazing book that we've studied, and we look forward to the good that you're going to do in us and through us because of it. We pray it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.